There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Basketball Addicts Podcast. Yeah. And today we have a good one, boys and girls. Today we are basically going to be having a really unique topic. You can't find this information or topic really anywhere else out there. So something that we see a lot and complain a lot is about coaching decisions. They shouldn't have fired Monty Williams, for example. Right, mm-hmm. he does X, Y, Z. Right, like, and we're gonna go ahead and give you guys a breakdown of every single team's head coach. We're gonna give you the unfiltered opinion, and we're gonna tell you and that compare that great coaching or poor coaching to the talent of the team, because sometimes the talent of the team carries a poor coach to a good winning record and a good playoff record, right? And sometimes Mm -hmm. a great coach carries a terrible team to a really good regular season record and a good playoff record. It goes both ways. And sometimes the fan, you guys, sometimes it can be confusing. It would be tough to tell the difference. And that's what we're here for. This is what we're going to be giving you guys today. Yeah. So you have anything to say before we start uh, breaking these down? Let's get right into it, man. All right. So we're going to start off in the East. The first team we're going to be breaking down is the Atlanta Hawks. Now, everything that we're breaking down today is 2K ratings. It's out of 100. Okay, so put that in perspective. So we rated Atlanta Hawks talent last year on their offense at a 90. And we rated their defensive talent at a 72. Now, Quinn Mm -hmm. Snyder wasn't able to coach a bunch of games. But from what we saw in Utah, gave his offense a 98 and his defense an 86. So, you know, definitely last year, defensively, they're not as talented. Best player defensively, probably DeJounte Murray at this point in time. Um, It's pretty weak and dim. But Quinn Snyder, when he was with Utah, he gets a 98 offensively because of what he did with Donovan Mitchell, the spacing, the three-point shooting, even guys like Bodon Badanovich. Bodon Badanovich would have never hit that peak that he hit in Utah with anybody else. Yeah. The way he was able to use any offensive talent, the three-point shooting, the identity, the spacing, the development of Donovan Mitchell, all masterclass. And he does get a 86 for defense because he built a system around Rudy Gobert. I mean, that team had Joe Ingles to defend. They had, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich to defend. They had really terrible defenders most positions, except Rudy. So yeah. the whole scheme it was to push it towards Rudy and push everything towards drop coverage. And that was Quinn Snyder's brilliance, too, you know, of like, okay, we're going to try to hide our falls by pushing everything to Rudy, even though it can be exposed in the playoffs. Not his fault the talent didn't match up. But, yeah, that's the first one. So what do you think about that, Chris, the first one right off the bat? Oh yeah, 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 without a doubt. Um, I, you know, I, I love Quinn Snyder, especially I love yes, him in sir. Utah. He what he was able to do offensively with that team. I mean, yep. even though you kind of had like a guy who could only defend, like that was his only strong suit. You still was able to maximize yes. the the guys there, especially like I think Joe Ingles was like the best like spot up shooter in Utah, mm, and he was he anywhere was really else. Good. Really yeah. good there, uh, Bogdan Vandermich, and then you also had Donovan Mitchell who was like yeah. killing it. But the thing is, they just couldn't, you know. 
get get out of the West. So they had the talent, yeah. I think, and to an extent, but they just couldn't get out of the West. It was too many superpower yeah. teams, so we can't fault them for that. So offensively, I definitely agree with. And 86, I mean, you have guys on there who have slow feet, who can't really move well, mm-hmm. who can't defend, like Joe Ingles, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You even got Donovan Mitchell to kind of buy into defending at least, you know what I mean, playing both sides of the ball, not just, you know, trying to score all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you have Rudy Gobert, who can't do anything else but, you know, who can barely defend, like he's not even a great defender, but he was still able to maximize that as well. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, he's he's definitely a great interior defender, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he defends very well. I mean, he defends good enough, yeah. so actually very well. I'll okay. Give him that very well. Yeah. So, you know, and then you okay. just you have have like your scheme where you push everything mm. toward him, and it kind of works. And he has to, and that's yeah. the kind of player that Rudy Gobert is because he has to like kind of. Um, he has to be in a system that does that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's kind of useless. That's true. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Alrighty. You ready to get to the next one? Let's rock it. This is going to be a big one. This is going to be a really big talking point. Next, we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics. The team talent for the Boston Celtics for last year, we rated a 99 on 2K for offense and 100 for defense. And we gave Joe Mazzula the head coach of the Boston Celtics, a 65 for offense and a 75 for defense. So it's very clear that the Boston Celtics offensive talent is so special. Last year, Mark Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown. Then we got, you know, Marcus Smart, uh, Derek White, Al, you know, Al Horford spacing wise. They had a lot mm-hmm. of offensive talent. And then we go to the defense side of Robert Williams, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Just probably the most defensively talented team last year was the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we go to Joe Mazzulla, why does he get a 65 for offense? Well, because a lot of the things that uh, Ime made work the year before, Joe didn't do. The, uh, very simple explanation is passing, right? The ball moved so much better with Boston. And it's so important for the ball to move well and for like people, people to play together and have off-ball movement is because it takes attention away from Jason Chatham and Jalen Brown. And it gives them another... Um, like a change up and ability to hit those bounce passes and to be able to hit their teammates in stride and be, it was, it was a much more passing and movement based offense last year. Um, and then on top of that, it's the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown situation that this, this guy, Joe Missoula couldn't do. Right. And he was very reliant on the talent to get them as far as they did. They relied on talent of their scoring and three point shooting. And it was extremely stagnant. I don't think I've seen a team in the past four years make it to the Eastern, make it to a conference finals and be more stagnant than they were. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. they just stand in one spot. Al Horford doesn't move. Right. The three point shooters, when they're, they're off ball, they don't move. Right, it's a very stagnant, predictable offense, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum attack you from similar areas. Everything's from the wing, right? Everything's from the wing or the baseline. And last year, Emil Doka did a really great job of Jalen Brown's mostly going to attack from the top of the key, and Jason Tatum's going to talk from the wing, and we're going to give two different dimensions, and it allowed to give those two the spacing because they do have extremely similar skill. You do have to be creative to make both of them work. And Joe Mazzulla just didn't seem like he could figure that out. And, you know, Jalen Brown's talent offensively suffered points per game in, in the playoffs because Joe Mazzulla couldn't figure it out. And they were just so predictable. And defensively, he does get a 75 because at least they compete. It's not like he's throwing out advanced schemes. It's not like they're throwing out zones. It's not like they're, you know, having these creative, we got to shut down matchups. It's just like Joe Mazzula can get them to a level of being able to compete and try hard on defense, but it's not like he's a strategic mind that's giving them the edge in a defensive matchup. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that the greatness of their team defensively last year was due to talent. So uh, Chris, what do you think of that? Oh yeah. That's another one I agree with too. Um, That's not one too far fetched. Um, I believe that um, the Boston Celtics were a way better team. And I'm pretty sure everybody out there agrees under um, Ime Udoka. And I believe that with his departure from the Boston Celtics, I would say that um, Joe Mazzulla just kind of 
inherited a team that was already pretty much set to win, so they yeah. couldn't do anything but win. So he, yeah. it, we really didn't quite see like if there was any differences in like scheme or anything like that because this is the same team that that Ime Udoka was able to coach into. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown defending at a high level. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We got them wanting to play at a certain level, but. And, you know, and playing and playing winning basketball. Finally, we finally seeing like a young mm-hmm. team really rising through the ranks in the East and really becoming something. Like they got really yeah. close. You know what I mean? I think the year prior um, to actually, yeah, they got really close. They lost in the finals. So it's like oh. mm-hmm. um, they were. Uh, it's just it was just a better ski, a better team yeah. under Ime and Joe Mazzulla just kind of inherited. So I feel like he kind of didn't get a chance, to, or maybe he did. You know, in a way to like really kind of see if there was any creativity because he kind of was just playing off of what was already there. I'm um, just yeah, trying true. to build upon it, but it was, in my opinion, it was pretty much perfect. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, you know, I think that creativity-wise, because we probably didn't get a chance to see enough, and we've seen a lot of, like, switching back to, like, the original, like, how he couldn't figure out how to place Jason Tatum and Jalen mm-hmm. Brown to kind of get him to work correctly. I would give him, like, you know, low points for the creativity. Um, defensively, he was able to get him to compete, but they were already pretty much set defensively because they already sure. knew their sets from the year prior. They already knew the offensive sets from the year prior, mm-hmm. so it's not really much coaching that needed to be done besides, like, maybe a little bit of, how would I say, um motivation really that might have been the biggest mm. problem this year but other than that yeah i agree though okay okay sounds good all right the next team we're going to go ahead and kick it to is the brooklyn nets so for last year obviously this is after the kd trade uh last year offensively we have them rated as a 77 talent wise defensively we have them rated as an 84 nick claxton mikhail bridges make it really respectable. It's hard not to have a good defense when you have those two. So, And then Jock Vaughn, the head coach. Um, offensively last year, I gave him 87. And defensively, I gave him 84. So Jock Vaughn really impressed me a lot last year offensively. The way that he was able to, after that trade for, with, for Mikhail Bridges, and they got Cam Johnson. The way that he used Mikhail Bridges... And because when you look at that roster, there wasn't a better, more veteran scorer on the team than Mikhail, right? And the ways that he was able to use him and to get the most out of him in the high volume scoring role as the number one, because he was the number one talent, was so impressive. It was really impressive. And it also led to winning. And we saw Cam Thomas really become his best. And when, if you watch a Nets game, there's movement, right? There's three point shooting, there's spacing, there's cuts there's passing it's 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 a very team oriented scheme that doesn't neglect the basics right Mm. um they do a really good job everybody's involved it's just it's it's a very impressive year from him and defensively he he uses nick claxton extremely well he doesn't force him to do something stupid like drop coverage switchable scheme you know what I mean? He's gotten the mo- he definitely has gotten the most out of him, and you know I just really feel like he understands switching and he understands his identity and he gets everybody to play defense. And I feel like Jock Vaughn had a really good year, so that that's I I really was impressed. So uh, what do you think about that ratings for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, <clears throat> um, considering he lost, um, you know, KD, you know what I mean, to mm-hmm. the Suns and kind of got a, a and kind of inherited a younger team. Yeah, um, the fact that he was able to maximize Cam Thomas. I mean, Cam Thomas had a had a had a streak there going where he was dropping forty points every night. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like I think it was like a, a whole like maybe three or four games that he was just continuously yeah. doing that. And I think that that's just amazing in itself to, you know, take such a young talent like that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a raw talent and be able to, you know, encourage him enough to take those shots, yes. to, to score a lot, to try to put the team on his back and then get a player like Mikhail Bridges from the Suns, who, you know, was a great, a great player there as well. You know, um, he helped, you know, so I will say though he just being able to incorporate those kind of players there you know yeah. that I will give him definitely high marks in the offensive side and Nick Claxton is a big is a big upside you know especially cuz he he's one of those athletic kind of guys who can defend yes. really well so it's good to that he was able to once again maximize the talent there so yeah this was a very impressive season at first i was thinking to myself like you know i don't really know about this guy coaching wise but then when i start seeing like how you know um 
Camp Thomas was able to really like mm-hmm. show us and kind of shut a lot of our mouths about the yeah. team. So I was yeah. like, okay, okay, this impressive. might be interesting. It was definitely yeah. impressive. Definitely, yeah. definitely impressive. Right. You ready to kick it to the next team? Let's go. All right, next team up is the Charlotte Hornets. Um, this is assume, assuming LaMelo Ball is healthy. I gave their offense a 75 talent-wise, and I gave their defense a 68. Head coaching-wise, Steve Clifford. I gave those offensive schemes a 70. His defense is scheming a 68. Um, you know, this is a really young team. You don't really get to see a lot of the young players play because Steve, Steve Clifford's a dumbass. He doesn't allow, doesn't allow the young players to play. That wasn't mm-hmm. in the, the 2K ratings, or he have zeros for coaching. Uh, anybody that his, – his minutes are terrible, but – you know, when we talk about talent, Lamella Ball is very talented offensively. Gordon Hayward is a good def- good talent. Terry Rozier is a good talent. Most of the other guys are extremely raw, right? So it's hard to give them a really high rating. And defensively, they don't really have anybody. They don't have anybody that defends except the center position, Mark Williams, right? It's not a lot of defensive talent. Um, Steve Clifford, though, does get a 70 offensively. There's nothing special that he does. I feel like the biggest thing that upsets me is he I feel like he wants to force LaMelo to play too much in the half court I feel like letting him push the pace more is just such an easy like easy thing to do right it makes too much sense you know what I mean and like for example in the 70s when Pat Riley took over the Los Angeles Lakers believe it or not Magic Johnson was playing a slow pace Right before the, the, the Pat Riley took over, and then he was like, "Why would I not use Magic Johnson to play up and down?" Right, and I feel like it's so obvious, but Steve Clifford hasn't made that adjustment, so he, he gets a seventy, he gets a sixty-eight defensively. He doesn't really get anybody to try. I don't see the Hornets putting in all this effort defensively. You know what I mean? So that's why he doesn't get a lot of respect from me on that side of the basketball. It's not like he's doing anything special. But he also doesn't have a lot of talent. But again, they're not trying anything. They don't really put a ton of effort into it. So he gets a 68 um, for me. So what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, yeah. that's not. I agree with that one too. Um, the On the offensive side of things, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that having a LaMelo ball playing the half court does not make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of guy you want pushing the pace. That's what all the other coaches he's ever had has figured that out, except for this guy for some reason. Steve Clifford has not seemed to figure out that he is better in transition up and down the floor where he can use his where he can really utilize his passing skills and really put on a show and really get everybody involved he's that yeah. kind of player he's very he's he's more of a up and down kind of player like yeah. you can really like put the ball in his hand he'll see the floor he'll make some great passes you know what i mean and really start getting your offense flowing in a yeah. very productive way Agreed. um defensively yeah. defensively like you said it's nothing to bat an eye at because he doesn't have anybody defensively and he hasn't True. tried anything there's no defensive sets i mean yeah still you don't really see a lot of amazing stops like oh wow you're like you know this guy is a great defender like no not yeah. really it's not getting anybody to try really so I'll, I'll give him a little mark for that so i agree with that one i think it was a 68 okay. but um offensively okay. yeah if he could just figure out that hey Lamelo ball is better up and down or maybe if mm-hmm. they just have to get you know get another coach in there and then and that that guy figures it out, whatever yeah. it may be. When that happens, then the Charlotte Hornets will truly take off offensively. Yeah. Sadly, there's there's a section of NBA coaches that only believe in one scheme. Yeah. And they will forever always coach one scheme and not adaptable. So he seems like one of those guys. Alrighty. You ready to kick it to the next team? Let's go. All right. The nov- this is another really good example of this. The Chicago Bulls. Team talent-wise last year, I got them 87 offensively. We got Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, who, you know, still can drop 16, 18 any night, right? Yeah. It's a pretty solid team. And defensively, I gave their talent a 78, right? They still had Alex Caruso last year. They had Pat Bev after the deadline. And Patrick Williams is a really solid wing defender, right? And mm-hmm. when Lonzo Ball does come back, that that'll side of the ball will be more talented too. So Billy Donovan, head coach wise, I give his offense a seventy four, and I give his defense a seventy one. Um, so I'm giving that offense a seventy four because of 
that man hasn't been able to figure out DeMar DeRosa paired with Zach Levine since he got there. I'm so surprised that this man still has a job. Uh, he he forces Zach Levine to run the DeMar DeRozan sets. That mid-range stuff, the mid-range ISO coming off off-ball screens. It's just a, it's in an abuse of power. It's just so terrible. I It makes zero sense to force Zach Levine to do those type of things. It's also not surprising that a college coach using a two-guard to come off-ball screens in the mid-range because that's what college offensive systems have been doing for the past 35 years. Mm-hmm. And Billy Donovan was is a college coach. He's from Florida, won two national championships, beat the Ohio State Buckeyes once. And, you know, defensively, there is... I feel like their defensive ability is carried about by the talent. I, I don't see any unique schemes. I, I see Nikola Vucevic being... Uh, not really understanding what he's supposed to be doing. And on top of everything else, this is a real issue. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are really gifted athletically, right? If the, Billy Donovan was a good defensive coach, Zach Levine wouldn't suck at defense, okay? And my clear example of this is Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins coming out of college, people are like, oh! We did these advanced science tests, and this Andrew Wiggins came up with a record high score for reaction time. He might be the next Michael Jordan defensively. And then he goes to Minnesota, and he's like, that guy sucks defensively. And then he goes to Golden State, and then he becomes Andrew Wiggins defensively. Like Zach Levine's that type of guy. DeMar DeRozan's that kind of guy, but especially Zach Levine, where he's ridiculously gifted, athletically, but a coach that's not good defensively is not going to get get the most out of him, and that's a good example of it. So, because of all those reasons, I'm loaning him defensively as well. So, what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, um, the Zach Levine, Demar Derozan thing really does baffle me because you have one of the, talent. I mean, one of the best, you know, kind of shot creators from three. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he was doing amazing things in Minnesota. You know what I mean from the three point line, you know, and like just shot creating incense and just going coming downhill, and you have him running mid range. You're not even playing to his strengths. No, his, not at all. Demar Derozan is the mid range assassin. He's the Jimmy yes. Butler. You wouldn't make Jimmy Butler shoot threes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You don't make you don't make Zach Levine shoot mid range shots. It's just that exactly. simple. Like you understand what the talent is and what the and what the uh, personnel can do, and you know, and what the players are capable of, and that's how you know you're a good coach. That's why I, I agree with the low rating for offense because he doesn't understand his personnel clearly, because no. he doesn't seem to understand that Demar Derozan shoot mid range shots, Zach Levine shoots threes. <laughs> that's no. how it goes. If you and you know you don't put Demar, you don't put Zach Levine in the same sets as you would Demar Derozan because it no. doesn't work. He's not. He doesn't shoot that close. He shoots from further away. He's a no. long range assassin. So. Defensively, he does have some defensive talent there. I will say that the Pat Bev, um, Alex Caruso combination, I like that. You know, no. um, so I mean, I, I'll, I can agree with the with the low marks because it's nothing too fancy. But he does have the talent. I'm Patrick Williams as well. He does have the talent to for there to be a, for it to be a great defensive scheme. Yeah. as well as the, he has the talent for it to be a great offensive scheme as well. It's just kind of just well, how he's able to put it together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Chicago Bulls for the last three years have had a team that's the talent to be a six seed in the East. Easy. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, but they've never reached it. Why? Coaching, right? Coaching. But because of the talent on the team, they get to the play-in, and people are like, oh, that's the Bulls. They're a pretty solid team, right? Bonnie, mm-hmm. Billy Dunham's not that bad. Well, no. You have DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan before DeMar got to Chicago, Zach Levine was dropping 26, 27 a game, right? Mm-hmm. So let's not act like there's some talent there. Okay. All righty. You ready to kick it to the next team? Let's go. All right. And this is something that we're both so excited to talk about. The Cleveland Cavaliers, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Last year, I gave their offensive talent a 93, and I gave their defensive talent a 94. And I also gave the offensive coaching of jb bickerstaff a 97 i gave the defensive coaching of jb bickerstaff a hundred that man can coach all right so we talk about cleveland cavaliers team talent offensively we got darius garland donovan mitchell karis levert um you know 
Evan Mobley, shooters on the wing. That team has a lot of offense talent. Defensively, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, you know, Donovan Mitchell's improved defensively. Uh, uh, Lamar Stevens was a really good defender that they traded the Miami Heat. They had talent, right? And they really did, but they reached a higher point than they would have because of the coaching of J.B. Bickerstaff. J.B. Bickerstaff gets a 97 for me offensively. I mean, that guy was able to make two high-volume ball-handling guards work together, and he made it look easy. He he really made it look easy how well he fit Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell together, and it's a real tough issue because Donovan Mitchell isn't some normal scoring guard. Like he's, a, he might be the best two guard passer in the NBA, maybe behind James Harden, top three two guard passer in the NBA, a point guard level passer. Like he's legitimately great, right? So that's part of his greatness, and to allow him to be. At his greatest self, you got to have him as a passer too. And that would have, in theory, gotten the way of Darius Garland, but he made it work so well. The spacing, the way that they ran pick and rolls, the way they ran actions, and it's just so impressive. Everybody was used 100% well. Um, and he gets 100 for defensively because. Karis LeVert never defended a day in his life before he before JB Bickerstaff was coaching him. We watched a Karis LeVert. Like, Whoa, Karis LeVert can defend. Now Donovan Mitchell is the best defender we've ever seen from him. Evan Mobley's you know go, taking ginormous steps forward. We get to see Darius Garland be the defensive defender he can be. Schematically, they're always great. They force everything to the rim. They defend the rim so special, right? They play to their strings, which is length. I. Just, it's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful what JB Bickerstaff did last year. The Cavs shouldn't touch him. He should be at least have the head coaching job for the next five years, at least. Special. So, what do you think about that, Chris? I know you're happy to talk about it. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Offensively, I love it. Got yeah. Darius Garland. You know what I yeah. mean? He has big games. He's able there is being used beautifully. Donovan Mitchell, you're able to play Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, two high volume yes. guys mm-hmm. on the court at the exact same time who kind of create from the same areas. It's mm-hmm. just it's works so well. Yes. Um and then you you're absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said that Donovan Mitchell, you're able to get the mess out of him because, you know, he's a downhill kind of shot creating kind of guy who can also pass very well. He's like one of the best two card passers. So it also gets everybody else involved because he passes better. Um yeah. Darius Garland is a great passer as well. And yes. then you're you're a, like I mean, like look at where Mobley was to where Mobley is now. I mean yeah. if that's not coaching, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean it you know you have Karis LeVert, who is very consistently inconsistent, but you yeah. were able to sort of maximize him when he gives you what he can give yes. you. Like he's a, he's a solid ten to fifteen points, and and that's good enough, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and defensively, like you said, like you're he like he has Evan Mobley who can defend. You know, Donovan Mitchell is really bought into the defensive scheme. Things. Yes, I mean Jared Allen and um now uh. Karis LeVert as well. Like, you yeah. know, nobody could get Karis LeVert to defend. He was just like, okay, I'm going to score on this side of the ball, and we're yeah. going to move everything else on the other side. And he's actually been defending pretty well, and you can get some quality points out of him too. So I definitely agree with the with the 2K rating here. Yeah, it was no mistake that the Cleveland Cavaliers had a number one rated defense in the regular season for, like, ever. Like, right. that, that was it was not a mistake. It's J.B. Bickerstaff being a phenomenal coach. I'm so Fruit glad he's a doubt. Yeah, yeah. we got a good one. We got lucky. Could you imagine if he was coaching with LeBron? I'm just going to say that really quickly. We can't talk about it too long, but that may have been the best coach LeBron's ever had. I'm just going to say yes. it now. Like, Eric Spolster yes. was really young when he started coaching. I'm not, not, not spoke. Yeah, him. Yeah. All right, you ready to kick it to the next team? Let's go. All right, we're going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks here. Um, team talent-wise, offensively, they had 95 last year. Uh, defensively, they had a 60. That's my 2K ready for their defense. That uh, That's post-Dorian Finney-Smith trade, okay? Let's, he wasn't on the team. And then Jason Kidd. I give him offensively a hundred and defensively an eighty-five. All right, boys and girls. Uh, you know, people are prisoners. Moments two years ago, the Dallas Mavericks were in the Western Conference Finals. So let's not act like, you know, this team isn't. This is crazy. So basically, why 
I mean, obviously, offensively, talent-wise, Luka, Kyrie, the spacing, the three-point shooting, the, the small ball, and the depth of guys like Tim Hardaway that they bring off the bench, 95 makes sense. Defensively, they suck. They didn't have anybody that could defend. Uh, their best defender might have been JaVale McGee? <laughs> J- JaVale McGee, and I can't think of another guy that's a b- average defender on the list, right? So yeah. it, it was really rough uh, talent-wise. But, you know, reason why Jason Kidd gets 100 offensively is Luka. Like, the way he uses Luka was just so special. The pick and rolls, and he he basically used Luka the way that he's never been used before, which is the post. Right, the 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 mid post action where Luca would catch the ball and he he'd get the shot off or maybe get a fade away or get a pass and he'd look for double teams and it was it was a really great use of Luca and it was a really great maximization of Luca and it was so impressive and even though you know people may not have talked about it a lot the fact that he made Kyrie and Luca work together right mm-hmm. like he made those two work together offensively and schematically and he's such a you know, genius of taking advantage of defenses. You remember when he played, made Rudy Gobert unplayable, and that's how they yeah. moved on in the playoffs, right? You know what I mean? Like he he is a strategic genius, right? He is an X's and O's strategic genius. He really is. It's special. He's a special offensive mind, Jason Kidd, and he gets an eighty-five for defense because. When Dorian Finney-Smith was there, they were pretty respectable. They had guys that could guard players, and they were trying the best to hide Luka. But even guys like Luka tried the best, right? Everybody on Dallas always tries their best defensively. You know what I mean? So I, I definitely feel like in X's and O's and trying to take away matchups and doubling players, Jason Kidd does make other teams co- think right defensively when they're on the floor. They may not have always had the talent, but, you know, Jason Kidd's a phenomenal coach, and uh, they just didn't have the defensive talent last year. So what do you think about that, Chris? Oh, yeah. So the Dallas Mavericks have way better offensive talent than they've had when it was just, like, I think they had, like, a Yogi Ferrell at one point, and then they had <laughs> <laughs> Jalen Brunson. I mean, Jalen Brunson is decent offensively. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he's really good. Yeah. Um, but like the whole Kyrie Luka Doncic like makes them like mm-hmm. a monster offensively, yes. and to be able to make that work, that's like magic. You know, it's 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 one of those things where it's like this doesn't work, but then you understand that Luka ha- is a great passer and he can also yeah. score, so he can really he's really able to get people involved, and it works really well because then you just kind of just figure out. You know who's taking the shot. You can pass it to Kyrie. Kyrie can knock it down, or he can take it to the hole. Yeah. He really like is able to really keep the ball in his hand. And True. it's the offense works with those two when they have a good coach. Yeah, defensively, like you said, when they had Dorian Finney-Smith, everybody was really trying on defense and was able to yeah. keep things together defensively. Now I would say that Kyrie doesn't really defend. <laughs> Luca defends a little bit, so I mean I can understand no. the sixty because like you don't really have anybody who's defending, but. Nope. Luca, Luca tries. I would give him that. You know, if, yeah, maybe definitely. if he can get Kyrie to try defensively, which I mean, like he's really late in his career, so yeah. I don't think things going to change because no other yeah. coaches got to try really defensively. Yeah. Um, I think that the sixty stays um, unless okay. they they probably just need some quality role players. I mean, Christian Wood also adds to their offensive yeah. value as well. Yeah. So I did forgot about that for a second. Yeah. Um, so they got the most of Christian Wood too. That's a good example. They did. What is he? Twenty and ten. He, yeah, like he was like a twenty. Double-double. Yeah, that was crazy. He definitely yeah. wasn't doing that. He was co- basically coming off the bench in Houston. Like that was I think so. Yeah, the yeah. way he used. That's another example of Jason Kidd's offensive genius, boys and girls. I really believe in it. All right, you ready to kick it to the next stand? Let's rock it. Another team that Chris is going to be extremely happy to talk about is the Denver Nuggets. So last mm-hmm. year, offensively, I gave them talent-wise a 100. Defensively, yeah. I gave them talent of 94. Micah Malone, I gave him offensively a 95 and defensively a 95. Um, you know, this team won the NBA championship. Offensive talent has to be at 100 when you got Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic playing like Nikola Jokic did in the, playoff, in the NBA finals in the playoffs. So ridiculously spectacular and the spacing, the shooting. It was really great to see um, defensively. They do have guys like Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, you know, KCP, uh, 
and other guys off the bench. I can't think off the top of my head, but they had some pretty solid defensive talent. And Micah Malone isn't a all-time great coach, and he's going to be hundreds and something, but he's very, very, very. He has a great mm-hmm. scheme around Nicole Jokic. He uses his passing to the up team to the degree. They have a lot of cutting and movement. They really use KCP and the off-ball screens. And um, they have another guy off the bench that I can't think of right now that they drafted from Kansas who also comes off-ball screens. Uh, and they really do a great job of just movement. Bruce Brown, the, right? Yeah, uh, no, it's somebody else. I can't okay. think of his name. Christian Braun. Christian Braun. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so they really use everybody extremely well. Um, Jamal Murray, even guys like Deshaun Bones Highland and Will Barton. This guy has a really good history of using these guys extremely well. And defensively mm-hmm. scheme-wise, he does understand matchups well, right? He's he's not going to put uh, Michael Porter Jr. on LeBron. He's going to put Aaron Gordon on LeBron, right? He understands mm-hmm. matchups. He understands schemes. He understands how to try to take away what the opponent is doing. He's he's a smart, good coach. Like This guy is very good. I have a lot of respect for Michael Malone. So I'm thinking that there. So what do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I think that he did a great job of maximizing the talent that he had on the team. Yeah. I mean, you already have Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, and that has gotten you pretty far, you know what I mean, True. before. But to be able to maximize the the um, role players very well, yeah. you know, such as like the Aaron Gordon, who I think he was like, he became like a spot-up shooter, kind of a lob threat type of guy, and he was like thriving in that role. Yeah. Um, you also have Bruce Brown from the Clippers. Um, he, you know, defensively, the 3 and D kind of guy, he was really like, really truly uh, um asset to them winning the championship mm-hmm. and a big reason why they won the championship and then to yeah. also take a rookie he literally was a rookie christian braun um yeah. and maximize him to help them lead them to a championship i mean he was another asset in their championship run so especially yeah. in the finals so it was crazy um yeah. so i will give that to him offensively and defensively because he just maximizes the talent that he had defensively yeah. as well everybody yeah. was really like you know really feeding into the defensive schemes like okay we can win this you know he had he was able to motivate these guys to mm-hmm. defend because defense is most of the motivation um and especially when you have some um athletic guys like aaron gordon then you can get the most out of them defensively as well yeah. so i agree 95 95 and the team was just great this year go nuts yeah. all righty you ready to kick it to the next team mm-hmm all right, from one team to another team that has a head coach we're going to want to talk about. So we're going to talk about the Detroit Pistons next. So the Detroit Pistons had, uh, I would give them a 76 talent-wise last year offensively and a 68 talent-wise defensively. They don't really have much good guys that can really defend very well. They have some guys like Jalen Duran, who has some athletic gifts, but you know most of the talents on the offensive end with Cade and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran and Bogdan Badanovich. Um, and their new head coach, because um, I didn't want to do Dwayne Casey because it makes no sense to do it, new head coach is Monty Williams. Monty Williams, we're going to give a, give a 98 to offense and defense. Monty Williams is a guy that is a classic example of this po- point of this podcast, right? Monty Williams is a guy that took – the Suns from basically nothing, right? And made them into an NBA championship contender. And he always maximized the team. Everybody was always playing extremely well. They had a scheme and the three-point shooting and the way they used Chris Paul and the way they had Chris Paul, Joe, uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Aiden. But specifically, last year, the genius that Monty Williams did is he got Devin Booker and KD to work together within like seven days within a week and had a whole new system because Kevin Durant, that system they ran with Kevin Durant is completely different than the system they had with Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges completely mm. different. And Mikhail Bridges, uh, Monty Williams did that in a, like a week or two and had an advanced system where they're passing and the movement. And it was extremely special. I mean, the Clippers haven't been able to figure that out for three years. And Monty Williams did it in two weeks. Like, that's why he's going to be a 98 offensively. And defensively, I mean, he gets most of his players. He gets everybody to defend. Everybody's switchable other than DeAndre and a drop coverage, the way he would use Jay Crowder, the way he got the most out of Mikhail Bridges. Um, you know, this guy's a phenomenal coach. He even got gets the most out of Devin Booker defensively. This, this guy's special. Monty Williams has 
really fooled people to thinking that what the Suns were before Kevin Durant was a better team than what the talent used to be. So this is a great example of this podcast. What do you think about that, Chris? Oh, yeah. Monty Williams is definitely a great example of what this podcast is about because this specific episode because, like, he really, really was able to maximize all the guys. Think about the fact that DeAndre Ayton is going to look totally different next year. Yeah. Think about this. Without Chris Paul, Chris Paul was able to he, he was able to get Chris Paul involved, yeah. make him a, 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 a decent, I mean, a focal point of the offense as well because he's mm-hmm. pushing the ball. And then for him to be able to work alongside DeAndre Ayton, you know what I mean, with that pick and roll that they were able to set up so that True. DeAndre Ayton looks like a way better player than what he truly is. Yes. And then you also get you get Kevin Durant with like yeah. a couple games left. You know what I mean? And you uh-huh. somehow get it to work to the point where you almost make it to the Western Conference Finals and then your team gives up on you. Um, I don't (laughs) see how that happens. Offensively, what can you say? This is the same coach that the Suns had and they, you know, were in the bubble and Booker put on that great performance yeah. in, in the play in and then they didn't make the they didn't make the playoffs and we're yeah. like, what the heck? Like they went undefeated in the bubble. Yeah. Pretty much. And like didn't that, make yeah. the didn't make the playoffs and it was it was something crazy like that. This is that coach that was able to maximize Booker. We've been seeing Booker just be like the scoring threat forever, but to be as much of an assassin as he was at that yeah. point, and then from then on, I mean, that's nothing but coaching. Um, and then you adding KD into that, you adding Jay Crowder. I mean, Jay Crowder before KD came, and Cam Johnson, getting Cam Johnson to get the most out of him. Um, what is the um, Cameron Cameron Payne to get the most out of Cameron Payne? Yeah, you know, that's like, right. They revived his career. One. Yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, getting the most out of Cameron Payne to the point where yeah. he feels like he can talk to LeBron because he's beat because their team has beaten him and he's dropped yeah. big points against him. Like, like to do yeah. be able to do something like that, coaching offensively is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Then defensively, like you had, you know, to get everybody to really buy into the mm-hmm. defensive scheme, huge, yeah. huge. So okay. I definitely agree. Okay, you ready to kick it to the next guy? Let's go. All right. We next team we have we have the Golden State Warriors. Last year, offensive talent wise, I gave them a ninety eight. Jordan Poole plus the Warriors system. It's really special. Um, last year, defensively, I gave them a ninety five. Some guys are starting to slow down. Just Mitch, Steph is slowing down. Just Mitch, Clay, Draymond. But the reason why they're ninety five and not a hundred is because of Kevon Looney. He's a real weakness defending the rim so that's a real issue strategically so they they didn't get a hundred but uh the golden state warriors coach steve kerr i gave him offense a hundred and defense a hundred uh this guy's been a genius for a very long time um phenomenal use of all his players great teams great systems offensively gets off ball movement gets the move with clay and staff and the way they do everything this 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 is a guy that's in the mount rushmore of coaching Right, and it's done so many special things for so long. Had not having him hundreds of both is kind of unreasonable. So, what do you think about the Golden State Warriors here? Oh yeah, Golden State Warriors is very easy. Curry is like phenomenal. We've seen what he was able to do creating this game where Curry was used in such a way where he was always off ball and kind of just allowed Draymond to really kind of facilitate the offense, you know, through his passing ability, like to notice that Draymond has you know a gift for passing and to Mm -hmm. be able to really you know allow him to facilitate and get curry you know really all these wide open looks like curry wouldn't be i mean well curry is a great is a phenomenal shooter the greatest shooter of all time regardless but kerr and his offensive coaching it had a big part in that as well because i mean how would he get the looks otherwise i mean you to turn a guy like steph who's you know shorter than everybody else who plays with like a chip on his shoulder because he is you know is a little bit smaller you know what i mean to get him into like this thing okay look i gotta run around 10 times and wait for the ball to come and then knock down the shot and then also to get clay to be able to be I mean, like, Clay is already automatic, but to get Clay to buy into the offense as well, as well as so many other people, such as Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, to come off the bench and be phenomenal and be a big reason why you won the championship a year, I mean, two years ago. Amazing. Um, so, and then defensively, we already know what they're about defensively. I mean, you have Draymond, you have so many other guys who, you know, especially Wiggins, who are long, athletic, and can really defend the ball very well and play both sides of the ball. So hundreds, hundreds across the board. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you, Chris. Um, so the next team up is going to be the Houston Rockets. So last year, offensively, gave them a 78 offensively. Jalen Green, KCP, um, you know, Alprince Sengun, Eric Gordon, a lot of talent there. And then defensively, gave them the 71. You know, they do have some guys that have, like Jabari Smith Jr. He has high upside, but he hasn't quite reached it yet because he hasn't, you know, thinking um, – Right, his his defensive mind and the X's and O's hasn't developed yet, but he does have talent. So, 71 last year is pretty reasonable. Um, they did have some decent length, but the, the star of the show here is Ime Odoka. We get to talk about Ime. Uh, Ime, man, I had I gave him 100 for offense and 100 for defense. I mean, this man made Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum work offensively. Like, give that man his credit, right? Brad mm-hmm. Stevens, that same Brad Stevens that got the most out of Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford, that Brad Stevens couldn't make it work. Couldn't get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown work. Mm-hmm. And we just saw um, Joe Missoula, right, try to coach this, these two guys. And everybody's like, oh, we got to trade him. We got to trade him. Well, he got to the NBA Finals with them. And they didn't have any uh, issues offensively. And it was because of passing and the way that he used and spaced Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the way that they used them to attack the floor in different spaces, right? And it was really special to watch. And he didn't even have Malcolm Brogdon on the team, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about that. If he would have had Malcolm Brogdon, they would have been back in the NBA Finals. I'm so sorry, Mike he, but you know what I mean? But this guy gets 100 offensively. Defensively, Jason Tatum never defended a day before in his life, right? Before he walks in and he gets a scheme and they're super switchable and they have an identity and they're just phenomenal and every Marcus Smart is really great and Derek White's really great and this if they just all defend at extremely high levels they attack matchups they Ime Adoka was the reason why KD broke down in the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs because they were doubling him and forcing KD to become a playmaker. And, you know, that's part of the reason why they lost the series and it was just high turnovers. And really, it, it was it was impressive what he did. He really broke him down. You know, he's a strategic mind. Ima Odoka legitimately is an every five years talent, a half-generational coaching talent. That's what Ima mm-hmm. is. It is special. And there's never, there has not been a better coach to enter the NBA in the last five years than Ime. That's, I'm just going to say that, that. Yeah, so. All right, that's what I got to say about Ime and the Houston Rockets. What do you think? Absolutely true. Um, Ime Odoka is a generational talent coaching yeah. wise. Um, yeah. I mean, just what he was able to do. I mean, you hit the year the one. With, <laughs> yeah, literally year one with Jason Tatum yes. and Jalen Brown. What he was able to do with that and just like, just something simple as, okay, we're just going to have them on different sides. You know what I mean? Okay. He can have the wing. He's going to have the point. He's going to have the top of the key. And we're going to just make this work. And the fact that it worked and it turned into uh, almost NBA championship in his first year with the Celtics. Crazy. Um, and then to get everybody to buy in defensively. I mean, Jason Tatum, like you said, never defended, you know, in his life. So yes. to get this guy to play high-level defense and to beat a team that was supposed to win it all and to sweep them at that yeah, and to force them to be broken up <laughs> within mm-hmm. the next year, yes. it's crazy. Yes, It's crazy. So definitely, definitely, definitely agree with those yeah. numbers. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it to the next team. Next team up is the Indiana Pacers. So last year, talents-wise, we give them an offensive talent of the 77. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mather, and Chris Duarte, Miles Turner spacing. They had some talent there. Uh, defensive talent, I'd give it a 73. You know, Tyrese Halliburton can't defend. Um and neither can Bad Panthern yet, Chris Duarte yet, but you know, Miles Turner and Jalen Smith push the talent to this point, right? Because Miles Turner's a really special defender. You know, Rick mm-hmm. Carlisle um, gets a ninety one offensively for me. He used Tyrese Halliburton extremely well. He he plays to the team strengths. They shoot a ton of threes, but they have three point shooting talent. They don't have a ton of shot creation talent. Um, Rick Kyle really is a good offensive coach. This guy has been in the league for an extremely long time. And defensively, I'm going to give them an 86. I mean, this team definitely played better defense than the talent was on the floor last year. 
they always play together. They they attack matchups. They understand the roles. They play tough. They play hard. They might not have the talent there, but they really do a really good job of coaching. Rick Carlisle's, I mean, this guy's been coaching since forever. He coached, you know, the Meta World Peace Indiana Pacers teams. I mean, then obviously the Dallas Mavericks with uh, Dirk Nowitzki. This guy's a really been a really phenomenal coach. Is he as good as he used to be? No, but he's definitely still very, very, very good. So, and yeah. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, I think he's still a good coach. Um, I think to be able to, to look at your personnel and decide, like, hey, this should be a three-point shooting team, if nothing else, and yeah. to start building a team around that, like getting pieces. I mean, like, I know he's not with the team anymore, but Chris Duarte, um, yeah. Buddy Hield, you know, those are, like, three-point specialists there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have Miles Turner, who's a stretch big, who can knock down threes. Tyrese Halliburton has looks like an all-star in this system. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, that that's some that's that's just nothing but attributed to to the coaching that you know yeah. coaching in the system and you know True. ignoring the personnel uh, defensively. I mean, yeah, I would say they can compete. They um, you know you still get the best out of everybody. Everybody plays together and is able to defend really well. I mean, yeah. you have long guys like Miles Turner. I mean, so I think it works. Yeah. Alrighty, the next team on this list is somebody that we both really can't wait to talk about let's talk about those los angeles clippers chris all right team talent wise give them a 99 offensively a 99 defensively this team's super talented they're the deepest team in the league last year covington Kawhi. i don't know why i thought of robert covington before Kawhi leonard let's go in order here Kawhi, paul george um (laughs) terrence Mann, robert covington norman powell Luke Kennard, Nashawn Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook, Marcus Morris, Eva Zubac, Madison Plumley, um, just so ridiculously deep. I'm probably still forgetting somebody because they're just that deep. Um, yeah. It's insane, offensive talent and defensive talent, and you know. This is this is really where we're so excited to talk about this. Tyron Lue gets a sixty offensively. <gasps> And an 84 defensively. All right. Let's talk about why Tyrell Lue gets a 60 offensively. Oh, maybe the fact that he's been coaching this team for the past three years, and he's never once figured out how to use Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at the same time. Oh, oh, okay. And how about the fact that he's had his GM force point guards on him for the past three years on the roster, but he figures out new and creative ways to not use them. Uh, first things first, they traded Lou Williams in a second round draft pick for Rajon Rondo, who didn't touch the floor in the playoffs. All right, and then let's go to the next year. We got John Wall. You know, he basically doesn't really get to touch the floor much, and they're basically going to use Perry Jackson. What was his name? Reggie Jackson is the starting point guard. Yeah. <laughs> Reggie Jackson starting over John Wall. And then they have Russell Westbrook, who they basically, while he's on the floor, touches the ball and initiates the offense about 20% of the time. Yeah. So uh, the reason why that's a big issue is because the Clippers' weakness is passing, right? Kawhi Leonard is not a playmaker, but Tyron Lu forces Kawhi Leonard to be a playmaker because Tyron Lu doesn't understand offense. Okay, he forces Paul George, who maybe is a third playmaker, fourth playmaker. Sure, is he above average passer for the small forward position? Yes, right. But he's not a high volume playmaker. I want the ball in his hands thirty percent of the time when he's on the floor making decisions, and then I definitely don't want Kawhi Leonard. I can't pass, looking ass initiating the offense 60% of the time when he has the play on the floor. There's a difference, boys and girls. And the reason why it's an issue is because when they had those terrible passes, everybody catches it below their knees. Everybody's catching it terribly. They don't. They can't hit backdoor cuts. You don't have to worry about anybody getting cut and get, having a tough pass getting made when Kawhi Leonard has the ball. It doesn't, doesn't scare you because he's not going to make the pass, right? And it's just make, because defenses are so freaky long and athletic everywhere that if you don't have adequate passing you're not going to win i don't care how much talent you have and tyron luke doesn't understand that and that's a real issue and russell westbrook is a really good passer at this point in time in his career sure younger okc no but that man could have been the connecting piece to them going really far this year but he wasn't able to mm-hmm. be because tyron luke didn't use him in the correct ways and 
he forces Paul George to play like J.J. Redick when Kawhi Leonard is on the floor. Like, I don't need to see him do 20 off-ball screens, okay? Let's just try to get them running. And Because the issue is they'll have Kawhi Leonard on one one baseline and Paul George at the other, and they'll just be like, okay, you guys, I'm just one of you is going to be off-ball, and we're not really not going to scare you. They don't really have any unique actions. It's terrible. Now, defensively, Tyron Lue is a pretty solid coach. He's a, he understands switching. They have an identity. They play tough. They put in effort. He understands matchups. Like, Tyrone Lue's a pretty solid defensive coach. Like, I, I give him respect defensively, but his offense sucks. So, uh, they'll never go anywhere. So, what do you think about that, Chris? Oh, yeah, for sure. Defensively, he's, he's a solid coach. But offensively, the fact that he still hasn't figured out the Paul George, Kawhi Leonard tandem. Three years! <laughs> Three years, it's crazy. Yes, I mean, just it, it doesn't make sense. They both attack from the same place, you know what I mean? Pretty decently. I mean, Paul George, does, I mean, Kawhi Leonard does go into the post a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. Paul George is more of a cat, it can be can't you can make him a catch and shoot, but he can also, you know, he also kind of goes in the place. You're both like kind of wing, wing mm-hmm. scorers. So, I mean, if you look around, if you just you know, maybe look at the offense and see how you can make it work. Um, because they are definitely the team is more talented than what they have shown. Yeah, way more talented than what they have shown. On paper, these have should have been champions champions long time ago. This True. Clippers team should have won a championship a while ago. Huh. When you know, but they have that has quite honestly continued to elude them over yeah. and over again, season after season. And it's coaching. It's bad coaching. Yes. Um. I know a lot of people aren't really big fans of Russ this late in his career. You know, they're like, oh, man, he was terrible with the Lakers, and he can't he can't score like he used to. But where he really shines the most is his basketball IQ and his passing ability. Yes. That's exactly what they what they were missing. And yes. you hit the nail on the head when you say, like, when you said, when you mentioned Rajon Rondo, like, the fact they had Rajon Rondo, who just won a championship the year before, you know, starting mm. and you could, and Frank Vogel figured that out, and he's not even an offensive guy. No, and that was just one thing that just that you wouldn't let happen. Like no. the fact that Rajon Rondo did not touch the floor, <laughs> literally did not touch the floor, <laughs> and he was your Playoff he was your IQ Rajon guy. Rondo. <laughs> Playoff Rajon Rondo did not touch the floor, and he was your IQ guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was the guy who was gonna. He's not gonna score a lot, but he can definitely play make yeah. for you at a high level and really get players involved and take some of that mental strain off Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I mean, same thing with Russell Westbrook. He's a, he may not be as athletic anymore, but if you put the ball in his hands and let him initiate the offense, like you would like a Chris Paul esque player, let him just shine through his passing. Then we can see a different Clippers team. It really is. They're only a guard away. Not even a guard away. A offensive they have scheme the guard away. away. Yeah, they have the guard. They've been had the guard. Yeah, they have the guard. They've been had the guard. They're an yeah. offensive scheme away from winning a championship at yes. this point. Because yes. they just have so much talent. They're so deep. They can throw so many different sets at you. We've seen yes. that. Fine. We get it. But the big problem is that you have Kawhi Leonard playing chess. <laughs> and he's not that type of player. No. You make... You make Russ play chess for you, and you make yes. Kawhi the Kawhi the knight, Kawhi the king. You know what I mean? And yeah. Let him move around the board however he wants to. Make Paul George the king. Let them move around the board however they want to because they can do so much for you offensively. Yes, and defensively as well. Yeah, and this is why so. the Clippers have never reached what they should. And this is a great yeah. example of this podcast. All right, are you mm-hmm. ready to kick it to the next team? Yeah. All right, from one Los Angeles team to another, we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Last year, we would give their offensive talent 97, defensive talent 96. I mean, this team had good talent, the guard position, stuff like that. Um, Darvin Ham-wise, I'd give him offensive rating a 91 and a defensive 77. So, you know, the reason why Darvin Ham gets a 91 offensively is in the playoffs, he did a really good job of LeBron's not producing as much. Let's adapt and have these guards to have more high volume roles. And we'll get the most out of Rui Hachimura. We'll get the road most out of um, 
Austin Reeves. We'll get the most out of D'Lo. We'll get the most out of Dennis Schroeder. We'll get the most out of Lanny Walker. Like he really did a really good job offensively. Yeah, I, I and AD the way he was used offensively as well. It was it was really impressive how well they were able to hide LeBron not just being able to score as much in the playoffs. It was it was really great. Um, Darvin Ham gets a ton of respect for me what he's done offensively. Defensively though, the reason why he gets a seventy seven was because Anthony Davis was in freaking drop coverage for the whole year and against the Denver Nuggets. That man is a freak of nature, should be always switching because he's able to guard one through five. But if you don't use him like that, then you're not going to get the most out of Anthony Davis. And it's just such a ridiculous, obvious answer. Like It's so obvious to have Anthony Davis being in a switching system as a center that putting him in drop coverage makes me question your sanity. But... You know, he gets a 77 because they was coached well, right? They defended well. They understand how to run drop coverage well. They use Janet Vanderbilt well. So it's not like he can't coach the drop scheme. It's just that the drop scheme didn't fit the talent. So, you know, he's from Milwaukee, and that's why he runs that. So that's what I think about that. Chris, what do you think about the Lakers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the Lakers. I like um offensively. Um that like definitely um what they were able to do with Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves definitely had a coming out year last yeah. year for sure. Yeah. Um and then you know Le- LeBron's LeBron, so you can't really say too much about that. True. But D'Lo, D'Lo had I mean I think oh wait, I saw something today. D I mean, Austin Reeves had the highest true shooting percentage last year, sixty eight point nine. Interesting. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> out of all of the guards in the NBA. Interesting. Um cool. And D'Lo was had a great shooting year as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I mean, offensively, Darvin Ham is that guy. Um, yeah. Coaching wise, um, defensively, I will say that he knows how to use Anthony Davis um, to an extent. Because I believe in the beginning of the playoffs, Anthony Davis was averaging like three blocks a game oh, no. or something yeah. crazy like that. Like he was going bananas defensively. Yeah. Um, but I think that just being able to make those defensive adjustments, I think I can understand why we would give them a 77 um, because he wasn't able to adjust against like Nikola Jokic and, mm. you know, kind of later on in the playoffs. Yeah. So um, that's one time where you should probably bring him out of drop coverage because Jamal Murray's just mm-hmm. going to carve him up inside. Yeah. So um, I like I can understand where it comes from because okay. the offensive side of things definitely agree with defensive side of things i mean early in the playoffs it was working and he kind of just couldn't adjust so yeah all right all right you ready to kick it to the last team we're going to talk about before part two which is going to be coming out should be coming out soon to you guys all right so the last team we're going to talk about today is the memphis grizzlies offensively last year give them a 96 talent wise defensively give them an 88 talent wise you know, John Morant's a phenomenal offensive player. Dylan Brooks, pretty solid fourth, third scorer. Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, they had a really good bench offensively. Guys like Tyus Jones, guys like Kyle Anderson. They had a good bench last year. Um, so they got a really good grade offensively, defensively, get an 88. Because even though Jaron Jackson Jr. is special, Dylan Brooks was a very good defender. Desmond Bain doesn't really defend. John Morant doesn't defend. Guys like Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson don't defend. Um, so, uh, but when we talk about the coach Taylor Jenkins, um, I'd give offensively ninety three. He does a really good. He does a really good job with John Morant. Gives him a lot of spacing. He understands how to use him very well. He understands how to let him play downhill. He used Desmond Bain extremely well, and he used Jaron Jackson extremely well. He's he's a good offensively coach. I got to give Taylor Jenkins a lot of respect what he does offensively. Defensively, though, I give him a seventy-eight. Um, again, I've said it multiple times, and I'll say it again: John Morant might be the most defensively talented guard in the nba but he doesn't defend all right and that's taylor jenkins fault uh that's the only thing i can say look it's defense is the side of the basketball that the coach touches more of what a player can be on the defensive side of the basketball because so much of it comes down to coaching intensity requirements teaching understanding it 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 Defensive side, it, offensive talent can overcome coaching, right? But defensive talent can't overcome bad coaching. And, you know, mm-hmm. even though Jaron Jackson Jr. has been a phenomenal defender and he does a good job with him, that John Morant question mark makes me think that maybe Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. were just great defensive talents. 
and he doesn't really have to do much to develop them because John Morant is a negative defensively, but he no universe should be. So what do you think about mm-hmm. that, Chris? No, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I was definitely like what he was able to do with um, Desmond Bain. I mean, Desmond mm-hmm. Bain had a monster game, had monster games the season, yes. you know, and you like that you found out that the pairing between him and John Morant was crazy and was kind yeah. of pretty much like almost unstoppable because yes. they were just scoring from so many different angles. So mm-hmm. to be able to really, I mean, it feels like John Morant every year takes a step forward yeah, and that's true. big, especially from coaching, coaching wise. Cause you, yeah. you know, you know that, you know, you, it's been drilled in him to kind of just work by the coach and stuff like that and kind of yeah. just kind of learn those offensive sets. So that's big. So I'll definitely give him high points for that yeah. defensively. I mean, he, he coached the defensive player of the year. Um, but the John Moran question mark is a big thing. So you kind of do, I guess you can kind of be like, well, does, were they just natural? Were they, was this just a carryover kind of a spillover from their other coaches? And that's why they're so great defensively yeah. because it doesn't seem like he's really coaching the defense per se. Like they, they like, of course he's teaching the stats, but is he really maximizing the talent mm-hmm. they have True. defensively? Yeah. So I don't think he is. No, I agree. John Morant's way too freaky athletic. Way, yeah. way too freaky athletic to not be. In no universe does that man not be a good defender. Exactly, That's yeah, because he's way too athletic. Yeah. Yeah. All right, do you have anything else you want to say before we uh, kick it? Nope. Okay. Well, you know, guys, this is going to be part one of a part two series. We're going to be next next week. We're going to have the next 16 teams that are on this list here. We're talking about head coaches giving us similar information that we went over today. It's going to be really great because, you know, this point of this podcast is to really inform you guys with how good coaching really is in the NBA and how to really view coaches. And I think it will really help cure a lot of people's an ability to see Monty Williams a great coach. Like we'll explain to you why Monty is undeniably a great coach, right? And a guy like Budenholzer mm-hmm. It's just because of great talent, because of winning, winning in a in a team, and because of winning, people have this perception of the talent on the team. But that's not always equal to the coaching. Sometimes the coach is terrible yeah. and bringing it down to a certain level. Sometimes they're phenomenal and they're bringing it up to a certain level. It's and we're gonna bring that down all down for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Here we go. Just want to say thank you guys for listening, for tuning in every yeah. week. Um, we've got some great content coming for you. We'll be dropping this episode soon, and then the next one we'll be dropping within next week. So we'll get a part one, part two of this series. Um, all right. You got anything you want to say before we close it out? Nope. I got nothing to say, Chris. All right. Well, I'm Chris Muhammad. I'm Jason Collins. And we had the best blood space out. Oh,